As our readings at the end of the church year turn towards the apocalyptic, we are called as a community of Christians to respond to the burning conflicts of our age with faith. Richard Helmer delivered this sermon at Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, on November 18, 2007. So doesn't an apocalyptic gospel like that just make you want to stand up and rejoice that you're a Christian? You know, after reading that, I have to wonder, aren't we just a little bit crazy? It's not the sort of text that would have all of Mill Valley clamoring to get in our doors, is it? The people who selected today's lectionary are not here this morning to argue with me about what reasoning they employed when they clipped this passage out of Luke for our reflection. So an unanswered question this week that stuck with me, in fact, a few unanswered questions that stemmed from our Wednesday Bible Dialogue included these. Why is the historical context of this passage eliminated or at least obscured? And does it suggest that apocalypse is for all time? Or does placing it in its proper place in world history make it somehow less or more true? then we might want in all of our very human complex of denial. Well, the verse that immediately follows the conclusion of this morning's gospel reading is this. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. So there you have it. Apocalypse now for the first century Christian community the one that Luke was writing for. Just as a historical note, the sack of Jerusalem in 70 AD stands at the beginning of our spiritual tradition, and it marks a clear dividing line for Judeo-Christian history, one that cannot be overstated. Beyond it, looking backwards, is an obscure time from which very few texts texts that would have been contemporary with Jesus and his earliest followers, very few of those survive. And scholars and theologians across the board agree that our knowledge of our deepest roots as a Christian people is scarred irrevocably by the sack of Jerusalem in the first century. So fast forward 20 centuries to the contemporary period, and let's start with the church, shall we? Since All Hallows' Eve, a bishop of the Episcopal Church has been inhibited while unspeakably awful charges against him are prepared for consideration in ecclesiastical court. Other bishops have been warned about leading their dioceses into schism, which has led to a melee of public sniping. And in Fairfax, Virginia this week, the largest property dispute in the history of our church began in open civil court. At question is the disposition of assets held by 11 parishes that have members who have voted to leave the Episcopal Church to become part of the Church of Nigeria. And when nothing else can be reconciled, we turn, of course, in very human fashion to the measurable and the quantifiable and the tangible. And we try to protect the interests of those who wish to remain part of the historic church because there is nothing else, it seems, left 
to be one. Indeed, at times it is easier to leave than keep the vows and stand face to face with heresies or enemies perceived or otherwise. The only question now seems to me is about who and what we can take with us if we decide to go. A few bishops bent on leading their dioceses out of the Episcopal Church appealed in recent days to the history of the church during the Civil War as precedents for their actions. Step back with me for just a moment from the consideration about whether or not that's a historically accurate analogy and ask what the comparison itself says about where we are in the sad thick of things. A church at war indeed. And just to underscore that, sitting in my inbox this morning was a report out of the diocese, I believe, of Fort Worth that said there were armed guards standing near the altar at yesterday's convention Eucharist. On September 5th, your vestry elected me as rector. And overwhelmed as I have been with the blessedly more mundane and indeed joyous occasions, both past and upcoming here at Church of Our Savior, I paused to catch my breath. Well, it seems that all hell broke loose in the wider church. So in one sense, it is indeed a great blessing to be here in a parish that is showing many signs of strength and health and growth. On the other hand, it's tempting to feel a bit as though those of us who have stepped into this body we call the Episcopal Church for the duration gather this season at the edge of broader chaos. In a profound way, our Jerusalem is burning too, and no one's quite sure what will rise from the ashes. A bit of ecclesiastical apocalypse for us, perhaps, one that I feel somehow Christ and the early Christian community would understand. And given what they lived through, perhaps they would chide us for our hand-wringing in the present hour over a few bishops and a few dioceses. Hiroko and I took advantage of a friend's visit this week and her willingness to look after Daniel for a couple of hours to go see Lions for Lambs. It's the new Robert Redford social and political commentary. It's playing at the Sequoia. The film was beat out of the box office last weekend by B-Movie, a sarcastic and true-to-form Jerry Seinfeld animated comedy. A lot of critics panned Lions for Lambs. Back-bendingly liberal, one remarked, reducing the film to a fanatically partisan caricature. And I suppose we could argue whether or not that was deserved, but that's not really the point of my sermon today. Another opined, as I understand it, that the film left too many open ends in its plot and settles nothing. Well, I thought after seeing it myself, so what? Isn't that where we are right now as a nation and as a world, unsettled at loose ends? In Lions for Lambs, a jaded political science professor confronts one of his brightest students, a student who's about to go over the edge into a life of comfortable apathy, frat parties, a C average, and eventually a good paying job to subsidize the bends or what have you. 
He confronts his student with the brutal apocalyptic truth of our age. Rome is burning, he says, while we fiddle around it. Yeah, it's apocalyptic stuff, all right, and it steps into it without apology. Liberal or conservative or neither, it's meant to grab our attention and get us to think. It speaks to the heart of our contemporary situation. B-movie, on the other hand, is about a bee who flies out into the world and kind of, but not really, falls for a human being and rakes in the dough, excuse me, honey. But when I took my own four-year-old to see it, he turned to me about halfway through and asked to go home. So I don't know how it ended. But Seinfeld and DreamWorks made the big bucks last weekend and won some critical praise for their unerring unwillingness to step into it, for being so wittily harmless that it even turned off my four-year-old, and that's saying something. (laughs) One critic said children would enjoy the film's, quote, eye-popping colors while adults would enjoy the Seinfeld humor. Mine didn't, and I didn't, quite honestly. But I wonder what it says about our culture and national community that this movie made the big bucks. Well, serious, provocative commentary on the pressing moral questions of our time gets a scathing pass. You know, Jesus can be scary sometimes. Because his sort of film probably isn't B-movie either. He doesn't avoid the painful questions And nor does he promise protection from the precipice we see all around. Life itself teaches that we are not necessarily shielded from those calamities that we hope, like the author of Isaiah, will pass over us or over our children. We are called to look into the heart of our worst fears with truth. Yes, to see Jerusalem and Rome both burning in awful technicolor, close up with surround sound, pipelined at broadband speed, and yet, and yet we are called, we are called to adamantly refuse to lose heart. Jesus says to us today that all of this conflict and strife will come to pass. It's bound to sooner or later. We live all the time on the edge of a burning city, often metaphorical, sometimes literal because we Christians are children of apocalypse. We step into it with our baptism. Jesus Christ, in a profound way, was born into it, and he died by its hands, and he rose again into it. God stepped into apocalypse with a judgment so profound that it cannot be encapsulated in words. And yet we live into it each time we approach the altar with outstretched hands and call a scant mouthful of bread, life, and a sip of ho-hum table wine, grace. And then we turn around and call ourselves the body of Christ and step back out those doors into the apocalypse. We face death and disagreement and division again and again, and yet we trust that somehow we will rise to new and more abundant life. We hope against hope. We refuse to bury our heads in the sand or give up 
the enterprise of seeking truth, truth for ourselves and others, even when it's muddy and gray and elusive. We sing Alleluia at death and swear on a cross that stands for God in our midst. We pray in the face of all the calamity that life in the universe sets before us and shout Hosanna to a person who predicted times of destruction for us. Are we crazy? You tell me. This is not the stuff of altar calls, and indeed it doesn't have the general populace of Mill Valley hammering down our doors. It really doesn't inspire us either to break out our wallets and fork it over, because we dare not think that we're buying safety for ourselves or for our children. It makes the critics scoff that we are intractably liberal or intractably conservative or both at the same time. And it makes the artists and comics spout age-old cynicism about the church. So, all right, maybe all this talk about schism and war is all too out there for you this week. That's probably a good thing. Maybe the only conflict you're willing and able to engage this week is the arrival of relatives and old, well-worn family and personal dynamics working their way around the Thanksgiving turkey. So be it. As my spiritual director often says quite simply, especially when I announce I'm in crisis mode, good. <laughs> Do the work of the gospel there. Remember the call to love self and neighbor as the old and familiar emotional wars erupt. Take the hits and the hopes with a dash of equanimity. Laugh when you remember that Jesus told you today that conflict, both inner and intra, was bound to happen. And look for the wisdom he promises you in today's gospel. And remember, above all, don't prepare your defense in advance. Rome is burning. Jerusalem is burning. At home and abroad. Step into it. Our Savior says, so what? I am here, he says. I will provide wisdom, he promises. You will be hauled up and hated. Yes, yeah, says our God, I get it, me too. Just the same, come to table all and eat. Hold your heads up. Keep the hope alive as sung in the poetry of Isaiah. The ancient poetry about lambs and lions living peaceably together not one sacrificed for the other. Avoid the apathetic idleness that Paul warns the tender church in Thessalonica against. The apathetic idleness that a sometimes arrogant and often controversial figure, someone not terribly unlike Paul, by the way, warns the up-and-coming generation against on the big screen. Work, indeed, as though it all depends on you. Pray like heaven and hell together that it all depends on God and Christ Jesus. And laugh and poke fun at our silly and vapid ways like Seinfeld. Find the breath of the Spirit in our midst, dancing the dance of rebirth and resurrection. And let's all hang in there together even when we strenuously disagree. Let's sing songs together for brighter days ahead the hope we will seek together in Advent. 
and take hold of the strength that is given us as a people of faith. Strength given not for ourselves alone, but strength to be shared with one another and a world in need. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.